This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture, brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture, and our topic today is technology and how we use it, and in some cases, how we abuse it, particularly in talking about fellow Christians. We want to talk a little bit about social media and etiquette and the way in which we interact with each other and what that uh, says to people who, who interact over media and look at how Christians interact with one another. And my guest today is Gary Brashears, who is professor of theology. That's theology of all kinds, systematic, biblical, and any other ca category you can throw into theology at Western uh, Seminary in Portland, Oregon. So he's with us by Skype with all the technological disadvantages that come with that. So that's, I guess, where we start. Sometimes uh, technology is, is great, and, but sometimes it can, it can kill us. So uh, um, let, let me start off this way, um, and, and I'm going to have a little bit of fun just to launch in, and that is, um, is technology in the Bible? I mean, uh, and then how do we talk about it? Let's, uh, let's talk about the, I guess, uh, technically speaking, the hermeneutics of even addressing this topic from a biblical angle. Actually, technology is in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 11, we see that the people at Babel have gotten some new technology. They've got the brick and they've got a mortar of a different kind, and they're able to put together the Tower of Babel, and that's new technology. To update the story, all I have to do is put in an iPhone 6 or iPhone 7, and we've got it. <laughs> okay, well, uh, that was an answer I wasn't anticipating, so that's good. That means you're going to be a great I, I conversation with I read the Bible, Daryl. I read the Bible. <laughs> uh, it's true. Technology is uh, is about the way in which we put things together and uh, and the various ways we go about achieving that. And of course, part of the creation mandate is the idea that we are supposed to manage the creation that God has given us and and to be. Uh, creative about the means by which that comes about. So, so um, I'll accept your uh, your biblical rootage there, and uh, um, hopefully, what we have to say turns out better than just the Tower of Babel. But you never know. Um, uh, of course, technology has really revolutionized the way in which people live. I can think about, and I suspect you have similar feelings. When I started teaching, and I, I'm in my 33rd year at Dallas. I don't know how long you've been at Western, but probably about as long or longer. 35. Yeah. Um, uh, when I started teaching, the idea of being able to look up resources on your computer <clears throat> was didn't exist. Nope. Um, you know, we used uh, telephones, <laughs> which uh, with we, cords. That's with cords. That's right. We everything was wired in, and uh, you know, cordless telephones were still 15 years away. Um, uh, I mean, it, it's amazing to think about the differences that have been introduced, really, even in just the last 10 years. I like to tell this story um, about the way technology works. When I did my first trip overseas to do doctoral studies, so we're talking early 80s, the way I kept up with American sports was by listening to Armed Forces Radio on a shortwave. 
Okay, that's step one. Seven years later, I went back to Germany for my first sabbatical, and I could listen to it on the radio over the internet, just barely, but could do it. And the way I could do it is I could watch a scoreboard, flip the score as the game was going on if I wanted to keep up with what was going on. So it wasn't even, it, it wasn't radio, it was just it was just visual graphics. The next time I went back, I had radio over the internet. That was seven years later. Seven years later, I had audio and video, uh, sometimes black and white. And the last time I went, of course, I had full color, in fact, even HD. I mean, I, I could have been in my living room as far. Yeah. So uh, that is kind of the story of the progression of what we're dealing with. I suspect you have similar experience in your own, in, in your own working with, with all this. Yeah, it's the same thing when I was teaching Ukraine the first time. I went downtown and bought an internet card that would get me 2.4 kilobyte connection. <laughs> and uh, the last time I was there, like you, I had full HD and I could talk to my wife as easy as I could sitting next to her in the living room almost. Yeah, it really is in many ways amazing how the whole um, technological scene is developed and how we uh, do so much now uh, through that. I mean, to the point now that a lot of people are able to work remotely uh, from their oh, yeah. work. My son is uh, does uh, sports law from Man- from Manhattan, but he works for a firm in Munich, and everything just about is done uh, from a distance and, and without any problem. And of course, it's impacted education. Uh, online classes, et cetera, have changed the way we think and are changing the way we think about education. Yep. So it, it literally is omnipresent. Um, and so so you think about this as a theologian, and theology is supposed to deal with everyday life as we meet it. Uh, and so, uh, what do you have to to say to people who who you know obviously participate in technology, but are trying to think about how do I how do I think about this in terms of the what what the Bible has to say? Well, Scripture, of course, doesn't say anything specific about the Internet, and it doesn't say a whole lot about libraries, for that matter, though there were libraries in the ancient world and well-known ones, and they're referred to occasionally in Scripture. But a big advantage of the Internet has been the access to information uh, on all kinds of different levels. I mean, I just routinely download podcasts from the best Christian preachers in the world. We appreciate that promotion. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I can cyberstalk my students, and I do, and uh, let them know that that wasn't very good, or this is really outstanding. Uh-huh. Uh, so we have, through libraries, now we have full text access to much of the information in the world, and I don't have to walk across campus to the library. Yeah, I, 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 I literally had this conversation last week in our department because we were informed that the Loeb Classical Library, which of course is the great collection of Greco-Roman yeah. works and Latin works from the classics, is now available online to us. And so, you know, I've got, I've got like 150 volumes in my library at home in my study, and you know, bought. I just recently have gone about you know gradually building it up to the point. And I said to my wife, "I'm done buying those yep. uh, because I can, I can look it up. I can write and travel, and if I have to look something up, most anything that I need, I can now get access to, without having to go to a library. It really has changed the way um, academics work." The other thing that has not changed, however, is the ability to people to process information accurately. 
And that's been a downside. People uh, cite as if they know what they're doing when they don't. Yeah, that's true. And the the capability of misinformation to cir- to circulate through. Uh, the internet uh, is really a problem, and it's even more a problem when people just post what they have heard or said, and there's no attribution or anything uh, put with it, so you don't know where it's coming from, what what the sourcing is, uh, whether it's accurate, all kinds of things. I mean, some people think if it's on the net, it must be true, but um, that's not true at all. Yeah. One of the things that's been really interesting for me to watch is how now in the day of internet access and archiving of everything, it's virtually impossibly forgiven or to change what you're doing. Uh, you've always been, uh, memory has always been there, but in the internet age, once you're identified with a certain kind of personality, you can never change that, it seems like, because somebody always goes back and looks at the old stuff and cites it as if it was done last year. Yeah, it, it, it is a, a different way of existing, and it also means that uh, most conversations, that many of which used to be private, are no longer private. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so you always have someone looking over your shoulder about what it is you're saying and how you say it. Uh, and what it means, and so uh, I tell people when uh, there's this message that I do. Uh, it's it's the contrast between Romans one and Acts seventeen, and how Paul functions yeah. in a in a in a pluralistic world. And I make the point when he's writing in Romans one, it's kind of insider talk. He's talking to the church from the inside, and he's telling you exactly what he thinks about the culture uh, because this letter is going to the church, and granted it ended up in the Bible, which means it did have a very public um, set of eyes looking at it, but basically in terms of Paul's intention, he was trying to talk to the church about the way the culture was around them, whereas when we come to Acts 17, he's speaking publicly, he knows he's speaking publicly, the audience is a part of the culture that he's talking about, and so his entire approach is different, uh, not that his theology is different, he still challenges them with what he believes, but the way he goes about it is very different. And the point I make when I talk about this passage today is is that we can't have clean, oftentimes clean exchanges like that where we know what the audience is that, that is listening to us because our audience inevitably is broad once we go onto the net. That's correct. Yeah, emails and letters that are sent via the internet, none of that is ever erased from the internet anymore. Ironically, when I want to do confidential conversations now, I always do it by voice over a telephone. That's much less likely to be uh, mineable on the internet. Yeah, and you just hope the government isn't listening. So, uh, <laughs> with today's government, I mean, what could they do with it anyway? Yeah, that's right. So, well, I won't go there. Um, so, it, so there really is a, a major uh, uh, problem in terms of how we interact with one another, and that really is the gist of what we want to get to. I mean, obviously there are uh, tons of benefits from being able to stay in communication with people, to stay connected over a distance in particular. Uh, I mean, I think the whole Facebook phenomena is an, is an interesting way of, of interacting. I like to tell people who are my age, and when we talk about this, particularly in relationship to education, that, um, you know, we're, we grew up used to a certain way of relating, and we had to adjust to the right. introduction of technology. My kids, who are now in their 30s, really grew up with technology from the very beginning. In fact, our household experimented was picked out to be an experimentation for the first um, 
uh, games over the internet that you shared with a neighbor who wasn't there in your house. And we were hooked up and and asked to do this, and so my my two girls and our son, you know, were part of this growing up group that that uh, played games over the internet uh, with with their friends um, online back in the 80s when it was first being developed. And and so they've grown up with this. They, this is how they've related all their life. There's no adjustment. It's the way they do it. They do it instinctively. Again, just to share another story, I once was writing a book and was getting ready to look something up, and I was, my son recognized I was getting up to go to my library to look up something, and he said, Dad, you don't have to go out to your library. He yep. was aware of what I was doing, and I said, what? And he typed into his computer, and lo and behold, boom, there it was. And he instinctively knew yep. that. Um, so it's clear we have a lot of information that's that uh, we have access to, but the flip side of that is, of course, the quality and nature of that information. So how do we get ourselves into trouble in the net? I guess that's kind of the, the what I'm asking. And uh, uh, you might share, if you will, some of your experience in this regard. Mm-hmm. I, I've been watching this for a long time. And what, one of the things that happens is what I call the Pat Robertson syndrome. Uh, those of us are a little older. Remember when Pat Robertson was a national figure, uh, 700 Club and all that. But he got a reputation for being somebody who said outrageous things. So people would just watch him. And, of course, he spoke a lot. And inevitably, being a, a, a powerful, polarizing speaker, he would say something really, really stupid, and then that would be picked out and played everywhere. Mm-hmm. And there's a sim, there's a, I don't know what to call it exactly, a, a genre, really, on the internet that is that kind of a thing. Uh, it's a celebrity gossip magazine that we see in the checkout stand at the grocery store. It's where you get yourself. You know, there's got you journalism, but this is where you get yourself. Yeah. But there's a group of that that does that around celebrity pastors, and they just wait for them to say something, and then they go outraged, ballistic, can you believe what's being said, and it's all taken out of a context of a ministry and a life, uh, and it can be extremely, extremely damaging. Hmm. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Nine Lives and Counting, a bounty hunter's journey to faith, hope, and redemption, written by Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman. Nine Lives and Counting not only offers a fresh perspective on well-known life events, but also ventures into behind-the-scenes territory and backstories never shared publicly. Nine Lives and Counting is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. And uh, we, we've seen some examples of this uh, recently. Uh, and, and, it's, and, and as we get into this, the point is not to say that, that some of the criticism that leaders get for how they handle 
the net and and the things that they say, uh, you know, may well be deserved. The question right. is whether the the beating that they take uh, mm-hmm. in the process is deserved, and 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 what that means for us. And in thinking about what you're talking about, that there are people who who stalk these kinds of opportunities. Uh, let me raise a scenario that I'm very aware of, um, and that is there are. Um, there are bands of atheists out there who, whose goal is to undercut anything uh, positive that happens in the church. Yep. And uh, they oftentimes, you talk about cyber-stalking, they often keep their eyes out for any kind of opportunity like this that they can exploit and pass through the net. I know that goes on. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, so, uh, you know, sometimes you think that the conversation you're having with the person on the other edge of, of Facebook or on the other end of the blog that you're writing is, is uh, another believer and you're kind of having an in-house conversation when, in fact, oftentimes you're not. That's correct. Yeah, the recent episode with Louis Giglio, when he was invited initially to do a prayer at President Obama's inauguration, mm-hmm. so he went back and found a sermon that he had done 15 years earlier where he had spoken about homosexuality as a sin, and that was trumpeted, and it ended up with his invitation being withdrawn because he was a person who could not be accepted in the public arena. It's crazy. Yeah, and despite all the public ministry and service ministry that Louis had done, uh, and it oh. was the reason for the original invitation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, all torpedoed by one statement that he'd made way earlier in a totally different context. That's the evil of the internet, and it can be done by anybody. Mm-hmm. I think what Christians did to Rick and Warren after his son committed suicide in the depth of his depression the hate speech that came back to him, the public blasting that came back on them, uh, it was just, it's an, it's an embarrassment and a shame to see what happened to that couple. Yeah, and, and, uh, and I think people have got to realize that they have owe some responsibility for handling their public discourse responsibly yes. uh, when these kinds of, of situations uh, come up. It, it, I, the reason I wanted to discuss this topic is because I actually find it very, very disturbing in terms of where the, where the church is. Uh, another incident, since we're um, trotting out incidents right now, yep. is my recollection of the way World Vision was handled when they went through their yes. their yes. Uh, decision-making process, first initially to allow gay people to be hired, and then when they changed their decision. And just the reaction that people had about that entire sequence of events, as as if, uh, as you said earlier, it's almost as as if um, I'll say it this way, vividly. Uh, it's almost as if repentance doesn't count. Um, That's correct. You know uh, that a person comes out and says, "I made a mistake. This was the wrong move. Uh, I, I've listened to the feedback. I've corrected the way I think, but it doesn't matter. The elephant." The, the elephant with memory is in the room. Yep. Yeah, another example of that same thing was when Wycliffe was uh, dragged out in the public for translation philosophy into a sub-Saharan African dialect that nobody in the world speaks, but it was rumored how they had translated Son of God and had dropped the language Son of God, and people went ballistic about that. and. A very high-quality organization, Wycliffe Bible Translators, was uh, was attacked viciously, and some major groups dropped support for Wycliffe 
over something they really knew nothing about, but it's easy to get outraged because they don't care about the Son of God anymore. Yeah, because it get it, the the thing that really makes this difficult is uh, these kinds of moves get soundbited, if I can yep. coin a phrase. Um, and in that process, the one line, uh, uh, Wycliffe isn't using Son of God anymore, or has taken Son of God out of the Bible, whatever, however you want to spin that, ends up um, uh, casting a huge shadow over any of the details as to why that is, or the linguistic issues that were involved, and that kind of thing. We actually did an entire podcast on the Son of God controversy, translation controversy, in part uh, to try and get the issues out on the table so that people right. would actually understand what was going on here and and not succumb to the to the easy one-liner uh, when in a context you know the other thing that's in the background here is is almost this I don't know fear or paranoia I'm not sure what the right word is or anger or frustration it's probably a combination of all these things come into play that drives the move to try and um, uh, and criticize in these kinds of ways that's correct uh, a recent example, of course, is the whole thing with Mars Hill Church uh, in Seattle and the, the controversy that raged up there for, oh, six, eight months very publicly. Uh, one of the things that I found just uh, very distressing in that whole situation, of course, I'm close to it. I know mm -hmm. many people up there and work closely with a number of them, uh, were the public bloggers uh, were accusing uh, Mark Driscoll and top leadership there of bullying and mishandling funds. Uh, and there was some legitimacy, of course, to their charges, but the way they were doing it, ironically, was bullying. And if you look at the side ads on their blogs, they were making enormous amounts of money from groups that I would never be associated with uh, because of web traffic on their blog. Hmm. And somehow the self-criticism that says, I'm doing what I'm charging the person with, and profiting from it, uh, I, that's just a real problem for me. That mm. is a huge problem for me because I, I look at the text of Scripture and it talks about slander and gossip as strongly as it talks about immorality and mishandling of power. Yeah, because you're dealing with people and their reputations, and, the, yes. and, and there's supposed to be a respect, I would say, for someone made in the image of God, that they're handled fairly, justly, if you want to put it in a biblical category. Um, and, and so the way we interact with one another, the tone that we bring to the conversations that we have actually is very, very important. And we have something going on tonally in our culture in which I'm afraid that sometimes the church is mirroring what happens in the culture at large in terms of how people get treated, and the church is supposed to be different in terms of how we engage. When I look at Galatians chapter 5, and it talks about the acts of the flesh, and we begin with pornea and impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, we get all that, but it goes on to talk about hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions. Uh, those things are in there just as much. Ephesians chapter 4, it says in your anger, do not sin mm -hmm. because you give the devil a foothold. And in the, Romans 1, you've got gossip yep. right there in the list. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Ephesians 4, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate, forgiving one another. Boy, does that describe the blogosphere these days? I don't think so. Yeah. It, 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 it is a disturbing uh, trend, I think, and it's, uh, it, it undercuts 
um, not just the, the benefits of technology in such a way, but it really injects a, um, I don't know what other word to use, it's, it's stuck in my head, a poison into the relationships that people have about the church, the way they think about the church, etc. Now, this is not to say that there isn't a place for legitimate criticism and engagement when when the church fails. It'd be a oh, absolutely. Be a compl- absolutely. complete misread yeah. of what we're talking about to yeah. say, no, the, ch- the church gets a pass on all this. Absolutely no. not. No. There's all kinds of stuff in Scripture about entertaining accusations against our First Corinthians or First Timothy chapter five. Uh, the, one of the telling passages is First Corinthians chapter six, where it says, "Don't take your disputes to the public court for judgment." Mm-hmm. Now, at that point, he's talking about the law court, but today we take them to the court of the internet and the public arena, and it becomes slander uh, and gossip. It seems many times. When those kinds of controversies should be dealt within the the elder structures of the church and with the, perhaps within denominational structures instead of taking it out on the internet. Yes, well, I think that what we see here is is and this is important to distinguish between the right to criticize and the way to criticize and even the way to criticize well and appropriately and and, and biblically, if I can say it that way, and and the way in which uh, sometimes this gets done in which uh, the right thing may be challenged, but in a very wrong way. And That's and, and it's a very, very um, dangerous kind of precedent when we when our goal is to absolutely try and, and pull someone uh, down uh, without the appropriate uh, processes in place. It's very true. Uh, when I look at what happened, for example, the Mars Hill thing, which is very recent, I, I see with the, uh, the eventual resignation of Mark Driscoll and all that was involved there, and then the, now the dissolving of the entire corporation and handing everything off to individual churches. Ironically, the thing that accomplished that uh, was not the blogosphere, uh, was not the gossip out on the uh, the public arena. It was actually done by elders of the church, who did it according to biblical standards. But the the environment of the internet made that a very toxic environment and a very uh, dishonoring environment. Though there's the opportunity there to show the grace of God in the in what's coming out of that. That toxic environment where anger was a virtue is a very unchristian atmosphere, it seems to me. Interesting. So, uh, your your premise would be that the way in which this eventually happened was through the appropriate elder oversight yeah. that that took place. Now, what would you say to the person who would say, yeah, but the only reason the elders really eventually took a hard look at that was because of the immense pressure that came on Mars Hill as a result of all the blogging and everything else that was going on? Uh, being very close to many people involved in the Marsville episode, I'd say that's a statement of ignorance. It act, the public arena actually made it more difficult to do what was being done by the former and current elders and by a couple of outside uh, involved people like Paul Tripp. It was actually done as an internal thing. The, the blogosphere actually made it more difficult uh, because people became very defensive relating to each other. Okay, so in other words, it so damaged the atmosphere that getting at actually what was going on became more difficult. That's correct. And reconciliation was much more difficult because every statement 
was exported. Uh, there was actually an inside source that was uh, intentionally and deliberately removing privacy statements and feeding it out into sources in the public arena. Interesting. Um, so, uh, and and this raises a whole other issue, and that is the way in which the internet can become a megaphone, if you will, yep. for uh, what's going on internally and where where th- where things are being sorted out uh, sensitively, et cetera. It's it's not that different. If I can make an analogy, it's not that different than the way governments try and work sometimes in particularly sensitive areas where they use what's sometimes called back channels to try and get communication back and forth so that they don't have to deal with all the static that comes from being in a very, uh, in a much more public um, setting and environment. Yeah. One of the areas you've done some great work in, Daryl, is the whole issue of speech act theory. Mm-hmm. And anytime somebody speaks in this kind of arrangement, whether it's a government source or a church source, there's always an intention behind that revelation. And a lot of times that's hidden. Uh, statements are made for public effect or to put pressure on somebody else. And that is all manipulative. It's contrary to the let's go straight to the person and talk with grace in the Christian environment. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people end up expressing opinions uh, and inter- engaging in what I would call speculation about what's going on when they, in many cases, don't actually know what's going on. They've dealt with this snippet or that snippet, but they don't have the whole picture. Yeah, there may be 128 factors in a particular decision. Uh, two or three are brought out, and then it seems so simple because mm-hmm. all you're dealing with is those. And there's no responsibility that's involved in that either. Uh, and that, that picture of being a person who's actually making a difference in the context of grace when you engage in, the, in what's going on, I think is a biblical picture. The disengaged person from an, a distance who is making these kinds of statements about churches and then repeating them, I can see nothing other than gossip as a category for that. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Join us next week for part two. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast. Two clergy of different traditions. Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.